When crisis hits, your instinct probably isn't worship. But one day, worshiping God in hardship could be as natural as worshiping Him in joy. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah reveals that the key is determining to know God personally. Returning to the Psalms to continue the series, When Your World Falls Apart, here's David to introduce his message, Worship in Times of Trouble. And friends, we turn in our Bibles from Psalm 13, where we were yesterday. Today we're in Psalm 138. We've chosen these Psalms from this Old Testament Psalter to help us get through the difficult times in life. And today we're going to learn how worship plays a part in that. And uh, I think you'll be blessed. David is the great teacher in this respect. David had a lot of problems in his life. Some of them he caused for himself. Others were uh, just uh, issues of his leadership. But whatever happened to David, he never lost sight of God. And oftentimes when the trouble was the most difficult, you see David uh, with his hands up toward heaven, worshiping the Lord God, and and he worships in such an incredible way and leaves us the lyrics to his worship, and we have these in the Psalms. We'll get to that in a moment. Before we go there, just another reminder that this fall will be in South Carolina for an event we haven't quite ever done like this before, a two-day prophecy event, Friday night, October the 6th, and then Saturday morning, October the 7th. And I will be presenting messages about the rapture from my new book and teaching series, The Great Disappearance. We'll be coming live from the North Charleston Coliseum in Charleston, South Carolina, and present a live arena event surrounding the event in the future that will hit the headlines as no other story ever has. And that's the rapture. Two incredible days of inspirational Bible teaching. That will motivate you to live for Jesus as never before. So go to davidjeremiah.org to find out more about information concerning tickets, special guests, and all the other things that will be a part of this event. Well, let's get started today with what we're learning about worship in times of trouble. When trouble comes, worship is there to help us get our eyes off of ourselves and onto God, who is the only one who can help us. Barkley Allen was born in September of 1918, and from the very first indications of his life, it was evident that he was born to be a musician. He was blessed with perfect pitch, and at the age of four, he'd already learned all the notes on the piano when he could call out any note as it was played without knowing what the note was. At the age of 13, he was directing a 14-piece orchestra in one church and playing the pipe organ in another. In addition to the organ and piano, he mastered the violin, the trumpet, the clarinet, and the xylophone. On one occasion, I am told, somebody wanted someone to play an accordion at a meeting on Sunday. He had never picked one up before, but he picked it up on Monday, and by the time Sunday came, he'd played it well enough so he could do what they wanted him to do. But his mother was the one who ruled in his home, and she put down the law and said that he would learn nothing but classical music. So he was trained in the classical way until he was 13. As he got into his teens, he began to hear some other sounds. Sounds like Fats Waller and Teddy Wilson became known in his home. And all of a sudden, he was bit with the jazz bug. And he became very interested in playing jazz music. When his father died, the whole family moved to Southern California and uh, 
Barclay Allen's musical career began to blossom. He was invited to join the Freddie Martin Band. He accepted and went into the band with great excitement. Early in his experience with the Freddie Martin Band, he wrote a hit song which sold a million records. Wasn't long before he had his own band and he was rubbing shoulders with the likes of Peggy Lee and Frank Sinatra and Perry Como. But while his professional star was rising, Barclay Allen's personal life was deteriorating. His addiction to alcohol began to take over his life. And one night while the band was performing in Lake Tahoe, Barclay decided to drive to Reno by himself. He had been drinking a lot and he fell asleep at the wheel. He failed to make a turn on the mountain highway and he was plunged down an 18-foot embankment. He broke his neck in the accident and was paralyzed from the neck down. He was bitter and angry and especially at God whom he'd never had much time for but now he blamed God for everything that had happened in his life. During the time that Barclay Allen was in the hospital, a local pastor by the name of Pastor Hammer came to see him every day. And the name was appropriate because he hammered on Barclay Allen day after day. Even though he was met with angry rejection, he would not stop coming and praying and witnessing to this man. One day after many visits, Pastor Hammer led Barclay Allen to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, God did a miraculous work in his life. He healed him spiritually. And while he did not heal him completely physically, to his amazement, in just a few months, he discovered that he was able once again to use his arms and his hands, and they could put him in a wheelchair, and he could sit at the piano and still play the notes on the piano. And he began to compose music. Only this time, it wasn't music to play in a nightclub, but it was music to play in the church. He had come to understand what God had done for him, and he wrote a number of gospel songs, some of which we have sung. But the one song that he wrote that has become known to all of us, the words to the song written by Barclay Allen go like this. I found a friend when life seemed not worth living. I found a friend so tender and forgiving. I can't conceive how such a thing could be that Jesus cares for even me. Each day, each year, my faith in him is growing. He's ever near. His love is overflowing. I have no fear. My worldly cares are few. I can depend on him to see me through. I found a friend, and he is your friend too. Because he came, my soul will live in glory. I'll praise his name and tell my Savior's story. What friend so true would give his all for you? I found a friend, and life began anew. I'm sure you'll find that he is your friend too. And as I read those words, I can hear George Beverly Shea singing that song in my ears. I couldn't help but think that that was a song very much like the songs we find in the Old Testament. A song about a friend. That's what the Psalms tell us. They tell us that the Lord God is our friend. He knows the need in our life. He is not a God afar off who only visits the planet once every decade or so, but he's a God who's totally involved with our lives. And when we come to him in the midst of trouble, God hears us and he knows us and he cares about what's going on with us. Here in Psalm 138, we have the song of a man by the name of David who has understood a deep truth about his relationship with God, and that is that in times of trouble, 
the direct route to God, the most clearly marked out path to God is not a path of crying so much as it is a path of worship. This is a psalm of worship in times of trouble. It begins in the first stanza in verses one through three with the reminder to us that in times of present trouble, the Lord is to be worshiped. The psalmist begins by telling us that we should worship the Lord thankfully. He said, I will praise you. He does not say at the beginning who it is he's praising, but as we read the other stanzas, we find the name of the Lord no less than six times. And here in the first stanza, the personal pronoun that refers to the Almighty is found ten times. The word you and your is everywhere. It is evident that David is caught up with the majesty of Almighty God. He said, I will praise you. And the word that he uses for praise is a very interesting word which perhaps would be better translated in the text by these words. I will give thanks to you. David begins his time of worship in trouble by giving thanks to God. Isn't that an amazing thing? Because it is so hard for us when we're encumbered by challenges to step away for a moment and realize that no matter what we're going through, we still have much for which we must give thanks to God. Wherever you are in your situation, all you got to do is stop for a moment and look around and realize that whatever you may think has been taken from you, God has left you a lot for which to be thankful. It is interesting to me that he starts at the place where we all must start. How many of you know the Bible tells us that we're to come before the Lord's presence with thanksgiving. Psalm 95 verse 2. And Psalm 100 and verse 4 says that we're to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise and to be thankful unto him and bless his name. Isn't it easy for us when we come to the Lord to back our truck up to his desk and just unload everything that we've been carrying? Sometimes in the nighttime it all collects in your subconscious mind all the burdens and the challenges and the problems and you get up in the morning and you can scarcely get into the presence of the Lord before you've regurgitated everything that's wrong. And here we are challenged to come into his presence with thanksgiving. We're to worship the Lord God in times of trouble with a thankful heart. That's one therapeutic lesson we all need to learn. And then he adds this truth that not only are we to worship him thankfully, we're to worship him wholeheartedly. The expressions of David throughout this psalm illustrate that he is a man given to wholehearted worship. He said, I will praise you. I will sing praises to you. I will worship and praise your name. David wasn't someone who just sat in the presence of the Lord in a passive way. And if ever we're totally devoted to any one thing, wouldn't it make more sense to be totally devoted to worship? I mean, we can get so energized by a lot of things, but here is the Lord God Almighty who has taken note of us who has sent his son for us and we have the privilege of worshiping him. And we sit so many times jammed down in our skin so afraid that we're gonna be a little bit emotional. The Bible says we're to praise him with a whole heart, with all that we have. In fact, I've mentioned this to you before. When you read the longest chapter in the Bible which is devoted to an exposition of the word of God, Psalm 119, salted throughout that chapter over and over again is this little phrase, wholehearted or with a whole heart. For instance, in Psalm 119 verse 2, it says, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with a whole heart. Verse 10 says, with my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. In verse 34, give me understanding and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. 
I have entreated your favor with my whole heart, says verse 58. Over and over we're told that when we come to God, we're to do it with all that we have. I think we could all stand to take a moment and do a little inventory as to how we come to the Lord with our worship. Not only in times of trouble, but even in times of blessing. You know what I've learned? I've learned that it's almost easier to come to the Lord with wholehearted praise in difficult days than it is when you're going through times when there aren't too many challenges in life. God sends difficulty into our lives to drive us upward so that we can praise him with our whole heart. But notice he goes on to say, let us worship the Lord not only energetically and wholeheartedly, but let us worship the Lord courageously. He says, before the gods, I will sing praise to you. The word gods is in little letter G. It's a reference to all of the pagan deities and leaders of the nations that surrounded Judah. And what David is saying is this. Whereas some are afraid to stand before the pagan deities and worship their God, I will come boldly in the presence of all these pagan deities and worship and praise Almighty God. I'm not ashamed of who my God is. And he praised God boldly and uh, didn't care what anybody thought. I can't help but think how easy it is for us as God's people to fall into the trap of cultural pressure. You know, I remember when it was a lot more common to see people in restaurants with their families, Christian people, joining hands around the table to worship the Lord for a moment before they were to eat. And uh, we still do that, and we see other families do it, and it's a wonderful thing to be able to walk out of the restaurant and say to some family, we saw you praying today. It's wonderful. It's such an encouragement to see people who are not ashamed to praise God in front of anyone (laughs) in this age when we're so ridiculed for our faith. David said, I'm going to praise my God before the pagan gods. I'm going to speak of my God even before those who deny him and don't know him. He was praising God courageously. Well, finally, let us note that as we worship the Lord in this way, we're also to worship the Lord intelligently. Notice it says, let us worship toward your holy temple and praise your name. And David mentions three things for which we're to praise God when we're in trouble. This is interesting to me. And if you put these things together, they will start to make sense to you when you pray out of the difficulties of your life. First of all, you're to praise him for his mercy and his truth. He said, I will praise you for your loving kindness and your truth. And the word loving kindness is the Hebrew word hesed, and it's the word for mercy. Have you ever noticed how often mercy and truth are found together in the same passage? They're twins in the Old Testament. In the Psalms especially, over and over again, you see mercy and truth wedded together in the same text. For instance, Psalm 25, 10 says, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Later on in Psalm 57, 3, we read, God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Psalm 85, 10 says, mercy and truth have met together. Now, the importance of bringing these two together in the same text and the reason we ought to give thanks to God should be evident to us when we begin to observe the fickleness of our own earthly friends. How many of you know that there are some people who are endued with mercy, some people who have truth, but there are very few who have wedded the two together? And if you have a person who has all mercy and no truth, then what you're going to have is a lot of injustice. Mercy will be granted without any standard 
to gauge it against. Most of us know people who are filled with truth and zero mercy. And they have a tendency to be very cruel. But oh, my friend, when you meet the Lord God, you meet someone who is perfectly in balance between mercy and truth. His mercy is in the light of his truth and his truth is held in tension by his mercy. So that when you come before him in trouble, you know that he hears the very core hearing of your heart and he deals with you according to his divine standard. Then he says we're to praise God in times of trouble, not only for his mercy and truth, but for his magnified word. It says here, for you have magnified your word above all your name. What does that mean? Some have thought that this must be a misprint. How could anything ever be magnified above the name of Almighty God? How could you take anything and put it at a level beyond the name of the Holy One of Israel? And yet that's what the text says. In any way you try to misconstrue that, you come back to the same place. And I don't understand it completely except to say that God values his integrity so much that he says he has placed the integrity of his word at the same place and even elevated it higher than his own name. So that when you read in the word of God that he will be with you, you can count on it. How do you know? He has lifted his word higher than anything in all the universe. The word of God is endued with everything that's a part of the name of God. And you can trust him. When we say in the text that he's filled with mercy and truth, the truth can be counted on because it's the word of God that's higher than the name of God. And then he says we're to praise God not only for his mercy and truth and for his magnified word, but we're to praise him for his mighty provision. And this is what I love in this psalm. Read these words. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. Every word of that is important. First of all, God doesn't delay in answering when we come to him. We may think he delays, Because we have our own perspective on time, but God hears us when we cry. And notice what he says. He says, Lord God, when I cry unto you in my trouble, you answer me. Now, please hear what he doesn't say, because this is what we would like for him to say. When we cried out to God in our trouble, he looked down and it all went away. And that's what we want. Oh, Lord, get this pressure off of me. Take this trouble away. But notice what it says. In the day when I cried out to the Lord, he gave me boldness with strength in my soul. How many of you know that when trouble comes, sometimes God takes us through it? Sometimes he helps us in it. And sometimes he keeps us from it. But in whatever he does, he gives us the strength in our soul to go through the difficult times. When David cried out to the Lord, it was like the Lord came down and reinforced his soul. He said it gave him so much strength that it made him bold in his strength, made him proud of the strength that God had given him. So that when he stood in the midst of suffering and challenges and all of the problems that he had, and David had so many of them, he could stand in the midst of it and say, oh Lord God, when I cried out to you and I needed you, You infused my soul with strength and so I could go through it and stand up in the midst of it. How many of you know God does that? In fact, I don't want to say this presumptuously because I'm not asking for any more trouble. i got enough. But it's almost worth going through it just to know that God does what he says. 
It's almost worth being there just to know that when God says, I'm going to give you the strength to go through it, he will do it. And it's not just what's written in this book, my friend. It's what you now have experienced. The first two things David was thanking the Lord for were things that were true because the word of God said they were true. This last thing was something he'd experienced in his own life. He said, when I cried to you, you heard me and gave me strength in my soul. Amen. Now, in the second stanza of this psalm, which I'm going to pass over very quickly, David looks into the future. And he says two things. He says, the praise that I worship God with in the midst of my trouble is just a small little version of the praise that one day will be worldwide in its impact. For there's coming a day in future triumph when all shall worship God. In fact, he says, not just all, but even the kings. He says, all the kings of the earth will praise the Lord. Did you know that's coming a day when every king in every place and every president and every leader of every nation, no matter who they may be, are going to bow before almighty King Jesus and give glory to him. The Bible tells us that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. And in that day, every nation and every tribe and every tongue and every people will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it will be at that time, in the words of Paul, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee shall bow. The kings of this earth will bow before God. David said, just as I am bowing before God in the midst of my trouble, there's coming a day when the whole world will do that. I like to liken that to the commercial that was on the air for so long. Can't even remember what product it was, but you can pay me now or pay me later. And I always think about that when I read this. You can bow now or you can bow later. But my friend, every knee will ultimately bow before Almighty God. All the kings shall worship the Lord. And then he says something that's quite interesting, that all kinds of people will be acknowledged by the Lord. Did you know that the Lord acknowledges everyone? And here in this passage of Scripture, David's drawn a line right through the center of humanity. And he's divided all of humanity up into two categories. He said some are the lowly and some are the lofty. And God has a relationship with both of them. Did you know that? God has a relationship with the lowly. And I often think about this. I think about it often when I visit the inner city of New York and see the people that come from the poor homes there and come out of the difficult circumstances they've experienced. And I sense the love that God has for them and the love they have for God. And I realize there's some kind of a special relationship with the people who've gone through difficult times in their life and have been pushed down almost to the point where they can hardly lift their head. God regards the lowly. Someone has said, because the lowly ones think so little of themselves, the Lord thinks so much of them. He listens to their prayers and he protects them from evil. Amen. Amen. Friends, our resource for this month is very helpful when we're going through difficult times. It's called Sleep on This. It's 100 reflections from God's Word to help you go to sleep at night. Each of these 100 scriptures and brief reflections uh, should be read right before you close your eyes for sleep. As you prepare for bed, begin to direct your heart expectantly toward your Father. Uh, You'll have a small reading light at your bedside, maybe. You can read this entry from your bed. 
And uh, when finished, turn off the light, close your eyes, and invite the Holy Spirit to continue to minister these concepts in your heart as you sleep. With a heart full of gratitude, simply continue to meditate upon what you've just read and heard and start your journey into a sweeter sleep for the night. This is a wonderful resource. Unlike anything I've ever seen, uh, certainly nothing like this has ever been offered from Turning Point. The book is called Sleep on This, 100 Reflections from God's Word to Help You Sleep Better at Night. Beautifully designed in a padded gift book cover, beautiful gold embossed letters on the front, and each reading is... um, assisted with the QR code so that if you don't want to read it, somebody will read it for you. (laughs) And we hope you'll get a chance to do that by sending your gift to Turning Point today. Ask for the book, Sleep on This. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, When Your World Falls Apart, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Sleep on This, a nighttime devotional with biblical reflections to bring you peace and rest. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, When Your World Falls Apart, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Are you searching for a way to begin each day filled with energy and joy? It starts by saying good night to restless sleep. In his book, Sleep on This, Dr. David Jeremiah provides nightly readings to help quiet our minds and calm our spirits. And when you donate $75 or more to Turning Point, we'll send you a special set that includes this book and material from the series, When Your World Falls Apart. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. The first conference in the history of the Christian church is described in Acts chapter 15. It transpired in Jerusalem around 50 AD. The church in Antioch had a theological question that required input from church leaders in Jerusalem. So the leaders from Antioch traveled to Jerusalem to work out a solution. The solution they reached no doubt didn't please everyone entirely, but they had higher goals. Fidelity to truth, 
the unity of the whole church and love for one another. They humbled themselves before God and one another, and God gave them a consensus. It's a good model for Christians to follow when disagreements arise. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's way to find agreement on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.